Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. Gus. Oh, he's got onions. Gus. He's got onions. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week 14 of the Big East Barroom, brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout for $20 off your first order. You want to go to Madison Square Garden, catch the Big East tournament. I believe we'll be there in about four weeks, Rye. Come on down, Madison Square Garden, say what's up, say hey. Watch your team try to hoist that trophy. Get that automatic qualifier if you're one of these bubble teams. Rye, an interesting week of Big East basketball. A week that continues to confound me. How are you doing? Confounded, Ty. I'm confounded. Um, we know who the book, the benchmarks are on either yeah. side. Uh, we have no idea what's going in the, on in the middle of the Big East right now. Yeah, UConn, Marquette this week combined to go three and zero. Georgetown and DePaul combined to go zero and three. Every other team that played two games this week at least lost one of them. So. Every other team went one and one. I have no idea what to make of any of this. I guess Butler has the best week of any of them because they at least they have the best loss losing to UConn. Yeah, but then, you know, Providence got a huge win. And uh, well, I guess we'll run through all of them. Yeah. I guess that's what we should do in this podcast. That's the whole bit. We we start with one team and then we just go through all 11. It's a good idea. So, right, I have the order for today and I was sitting there watching the Villanova game. Villanova versus Seton Hall, which just concluded. And I said, let's test Ryan. We're going to go the opposite way today. We're going to, you're going to guess, well, not guess because you kind of know, but I want to see offhand who has the most transfers on their starting five. So we're going from the highest amount of transfers in the starting five. There can only be at maximum five. And that means that the minimum would be, come on, you got this. Zero. Zero. So you got a zero to five stretch here. There are some people within tiers, obviously. The variety of zero to five doesn't leave a lot, but right. I did think it was interesting because it seems like the best teams have the least amount of transfers in their starting five. Is there any team that has five transfers in their starting five? No, but I guess you could probably for especially some um, teams that sub in and out. I'll tell you the five, the transfers. I wrote them all down next to it as well. Um, because like DePaul's starting five has had some variety this season, but I'm going off of what I think the starting five is. It was in their last game and what like has been consistently. All right. Well, St. John's has four That's a good transfers in their starting five. Joel Soriano being the only returner. Yes, I have Dennis Jenkins, Jordan Dingle, Chris Ledlum, and RJ Lewis. Right, put three minutes on the clock. Let's talk St. John's basketball as they had their week, as the same as most teams will say, one and one. They beat DePaul, which everybody does, literally every team in the Big East, and they lost to Marquette at Marquette. Um, in the Tyler Kolick game, in a game they controlled in the first half and then fell off the cliff in the second. Right, my question for you for St. John's is, that Marquette loss, disheartening. Is that loss more about St. John's or is that loss more about Marquette? It's about St. John's. It's about St. John's inability to play defense. And that's why I was very confident in my pick on Marquette. It was my pick of the week to cover this because Marquette you, runs. Huh? Are you doing picks of the week and you're not telling me? 
And it was in a group chat with you, Ty. Um, no, but Marquette runs the best pick-and-roll action of anybody in the country, pretty much, and St. John's cannot guard a pick-and-roll. And once they were forced to come out of zone in the second half, their man-to-man defense is atrocious. It has not improved over the course of this season. And Tyler Kolek just ate him alive. Yeah, some of those passes by Kolek, especially the one where he gets around three players um, to Stevie Mitchell on a blind pass at the end of that game. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Kolek said it best. He said barbecue chicken when he said when he heard that. Um, you know, when he's talking about switching them to man. You know this this St. John's team has enough offensive firepower at certain points with Dingle and Jenkins to carry them. But you're you're gonna lose games against the top half of the Big East or at least the top two because you just don't get enough stops. And they're excellent um, on offensive glass. They really made St. John uh, Marquette pay on the offensive glass in the first half, specifically Chris Ledlum. Joel Soriano, Zubi Ejiofor, all these guys, they hit the glass really hard, and I thought that maybe that was going to be able to carry them to a win. But if you if you don't get any stops, I mean, I think Marquette scored 48 points in the final 20 minutes. Yeah, they did. 48 in the final 20, 38 in the first 20. It doesn't matter how good you are offensively if you give up 48 points and a half. Yeah, you can't let them shoot 14 of 27 from three, and a lot of them were wide open threes as well. Cam Jones, the corners especially – Cam Jones, David Joplin, um, just kind of stood there in the corners and knocked down three after three. It's because I mean, it's the defense over collapses constantly, yeah. and there's guys just running around, and, and so then your shooters are wide open, and you think Tyler Kolek's not going to find them. And let's be honest, right? St. John's is a pretty good rebounding team. Marquette's a pretty bad rebounding team, and they only won the rebounding you know battle by two. You, you, that's just not good enough either. You know, Joel Soriano and Chris Ludlum have to be absolute dudes in those games your best play this isn't a hot take your best player has to play like your best player in the biggest game and well here's a you want a hot take Dennis yeah. Jenkins is their best player Dennis Jenkins owns none of the problems he's always where he's supposed to be defensively you could I mean I stopped some of the clips I was I put together a Marquette thread and four guys are out of position on the court the only guy who's guarding the person he's supposed to be is Dennis Jenkins yeah and Joel Soriano's really struggling his last three games, six, 11, and two. Um, just not good enough from your all world center. And two of those games are against um, the best two teams in the country or two, best two teams in the conference in UConn and Marquette. You got to You got to have better from your best player. Or, just really quick. We're out of time. Uh, did you see they sit, sat Joel Soriano for much of the beginning of the second half? I did see that. And I know that people are talking about Archer for um uh, starting, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's an, you know, the biggie season's a grind. Is it, is it that he's a little worn down or is it a focus issue? I guess, you know, obviously there's a lot more going on in that room, but um, curious what the next steps are with Joe Soriano. Hey, Ryan, there are three other teams that have four transfers in their starting five. Can you give me one of the other three? I can do all of them. Well, yes, that's a game. The cool part about this game is, you know, all the answers if you thought about them. Uh, but the Georgetown Hoyas I'm going to go with next because Jay Heath is their only returner. So everybody else has to be transferred. Let me also be clear. When I did this, it, I did first-time transfers. Um, so like Tristan Newton, I didn't count as a transfer for UConn, despite him being a transfer. I feel like somebody's going to be like, Tristan Newton is a transfer. or There's a ton of people who transferred twice. Um, but right, the Georgetown Hoyas lost this week in a very competitive game. They lost 76-70 to at Seton Hall. And then they got their doors blown off at home against UConn. Um, listen, after what I just saw from Seton Hall, I'm really worried about what this says about the Georgetown Hoyas. 
Um, not worried because they're not good enough anyway, but they're not getting better. And that's a big, big concern. Are you just like, man, get me to next season? Yeah, I'm almost at the Paul treatment for them. I think there's an argument that they're the biggest disappointment of the season. Just because there was expectations where they were going to be middling this year. And they're not even close to middling. They're to the point where they would go winless if it wasn't for DePaul Blue Demons. They are so bad. We were watching the game together at the bar, and I said, I think UConn's backup five could beat Georgetown today. Hassan Diara, Solomon Ball, all, the, all those guys. I think that's better than the Georgetown Hoya team right now. There's just no interest in playing defense or running good offense. Um, I mean, all the traits of a good basketball team are missing. Yeah, Ryan did have that tweet quoted up and uh, decided not to send it. I thought it was a mistake not sending it. Ryan, guess what UConn shot in this game? Over 50%. Over 60%. They shot 61% in a, bas- in a college basketball game. I mean, this is stuff that you just don't see. Um, offensively, I feel like we're doing a lot of stuff that we did last year. Uh, we're talking about how they have individual talent and they can score the basketball a little bit. And it's just not – but their defense is so bad that their offense can't make up for it. Um, but did you ever expect going into this year that they would be this bad? Because I feel like it's almost the national media is just kind of wiping away. It's like, well, it's another Georgetown season. But it's like, I, I, I didn't expect it to be this bad. I'm still hopeful for the future, but like, wow, this is bad. No, let me get out of my soapbox a little bit here. I think when you bring in a team of all transfers and you are supposed to be an all-world coach, this is my issue with why St. John's isn't great either. Your Ed Cooley is supposed to be the guy. He is supposed to be a program builder. Well, you brought in all your own guys. You didn't bring in, you know, it wasn't like you inherited a team. The fact that Ed Cooley is just kind of getting a pass on this year, and we're not talking about Georgetown. Like, we should be talking about if he has a bad year next year, his seat being hot. And we're not at all having that conversation. I think the conversations about how he left is still weird. Um, But we're not having conversations about how disappointing he's been. Right, if Rick Pitino has like a terrible season this year and they played this bad and they were bad next year, we'd talk about Rick Pitino getting fired. No, no. Rick Pitino is a Hall of Famer. He's not getting fired from St. John's. And Georgetown's in, in such a state of desperation as a program that Ed Cooley's going to get more than three years. Um, with his track record of success, they just can't afford to get rid of him. after. How many defense. years did they give you in? Four? Yeah. So the best player in Georgetown history gets four, and then some guy who just you they were pining for gets three. I mean, come on, it's kind of bullshit. Some guy two years ago he was a Big East regular season championship coach. He's done it in this league. They're not going to get rid of him after three years. They're just not. Georgetown is, should be better than they are right now, and Ed Cooley should be on a hotter um, seat than he is. I agree with the first part, not the second part. Go ahead. Okay, Ryan, give me another team that has four transfers in their starting five. Sean Miller's Xavier Musketeers because his four starters graduated last year. That is incorrect. Who are you counting as their four? Gittis Nemeshka is a true freshman and is a starter, and Desmond Claude is not a uh, transfer. Gittis Nemeshka is not a true freshman. Gittis Nemeshka has played one year of college basketball, right? It doesn't matter. He doesn't have the... So where did he transfer from? You're going to say... Wickelania. You can't... (laughs) That's a fact. He's only played one year of college basketball. He's, a He's not a senior. transfer. He, look at the freaking – oh, my God. I'm working with the amateurs. You're He's not senior. saying that he's a transfer from a whole country, are you? Let's put three minutes on the clock and talk about the Xavier Musketeers because they have four freaking transfers. Tyler, go ahead. Transfer from a country. Um, Xavier won their first game of the week um, against Villanova, 56-53, in an ugly basketball game. 
and then lost their second game in the week, 71-78, um, in a game that might have seen part of their bubble burst to Creighton. Um, especially because that Nova game wasn't a convincing win. If you remember, that's the game that they dribbled the cr- clock out Villanova on accident. Um, and their loss against Creighton, they came back at the end of the game, but that game was not really a seven-point game for most of it. Um, they came roaring back at the end. Yeah, they made it competitive. You got to give them credit. They don't quit. But there's, you know, we know this team is what issues this team has and how they ended up in so much trouble early in the season. And they're fighting like hell to try to come back. Uh, I thought Ryan Clockbrenner really dominated them. They didn't have an answer to him. This was one of his better games of the season. They have trouble putting the ball through the basket consistently. Especially when Quincy Oliveri is not red hot. And, and actually, Davion McKnight had a really nice game, a nice game this against Creighton, but just not enough. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't shoot the ball extremely well, 42%. They actually shot it better from three. Um, here's why I don't ever get mad about Xavier the same way I do about Georgetown or other teams that we're going to talk about. Play so hard the entire game for the full 40 minutes, and they are so aware of what they do not do well. So you're right. They don't put the ball in the basketball. So what do they do to try to counteract that? They try to run the hell out of the basketball and get as many shots up as possible. I mean, 66 shots in this game is a lot of shots. Um, They don't defend the five well. So what ends up happening is Usman normally commits a lot of fouls. They they know what they're not great at, and they try to counteract it. But it's it's so clear that they just don't have the personnel in some categories that I don't get frustrated because it's never a question of effort like it is for some other teams. Well, this is so much about their coaching, right? That's kind of read between the lines of what you're saying. But they have they have at Seton Hall on Valentine's Day coming up. That's about a must-win game at this point, especially considering the way Seton Hall's trending. It would no longer be considered a really good loss. Man, they would have loved to get that one against Creighton and, and it makes this one even more important. Yeah, you're talking about season-defining games coming up in this stretch. Everybody's got about seven or eight games left. I mean, you are talking about teams that are going to be absolutely fighting for their life. Um, and you can't afford some of these. For like seven teams in the middle here, you can't afford a lot of these losses. Um, but yeah, I think the winner of that game, might Xavier still might not be in. But the loser of that game, their bubble has burst, in my opinion. Um, that is as must-win of a must-win game as you're going to get in the Big East. I don't. I think you're being a little dramatic. There's still like another six games each for these teams, plus the Big East tournament. So there's more quad one games, but you certainly don't want to. I mean, Xavier's already on the outside looking in, and Seton Hall is probably on the outside looking in after this loss to Villanova. So a win from either one puts them a lot closer. If everybody could just take a minute and comment whether you think a transfer from a different country counts as a transfer, please take a minute of your time and do that because I'm flabbergasted. Right. There are two other teams still that have four transfers. Would you like to actually name one or would you like to just make up rules? I did, but we'll go to Butler Bulldogs because Jalen Thomas is your only returner. Their starting five is um one of the when I was naming starting fives to myself and Jeter, my lovely dog. Um their starting five is like the easiest to name in college basketball almost because you're very clear. Not in college basketball, the big east, right? Their starting five just never changes. It's very clear, very defined. What are we talking about here? I'm talking about how like easy it is to find their starting five. Um, and they went one and one this week. They lost a game against UConn. We were in the building at the XL Center. And then they beat Providence in a game we were not in the building for. 
but um, in Indiana. Rye, Butler to me is firmly in the tournament. I think they're clearly one of the best teams in the Big East. Um, even though they lost to UConn, I was like, all right, well, they kind of battled the entire game, lost by nine. They stayed in it. There were a few times we looked up and we were like, oh, it's a three-point game right now? Um, so w- stock up for Butler? Yeah, those seven teams in the middle that we talked about uh, at the entrance of the podcast – they have to be the biggest stock up of any of those seven teams over the last month, month and a half. I mean, they've been really good. They actually played really well against UConn, um, and the Huskies ended up pulling it off. But they made that a competitive game, and then they steal a win against Providence in, in a really competitive Providence team that would not quit despite missing two of their five starters. Yeah, I mean, this team – and they pass the eye test, right? Like, when they're playing basketball, you're like, oh, this kind of makes sense. They have a little bit of depth now. They've really kind of developed Finley Bizjack and um, Landon Moore to be serviceable players and Andre Screen um, to be serviceable backups at certain times. You know, they they have shooting in DJ Davis and Pierre Brooks and Jamil Telford. They play some pretty good defense. They're physical. They kind of pass all the eye tests. So, I mean, for me, this Butler team, and I was just talking in the group chat about it, this Butler team is, you know, one of those teams that I'm going to look at when I'm filling out my bracket and be like, all right, they can, they can make some noise. Yeah, and it's what we talked about earlier in the season. We kept saying, like, they pass the eye test, but they, they don't know how to win games. If they're not winning games, they're playing a lot of competitive games. Well, they, they're they starting to win games now. They beat Providence in a really important game. Um, they beat Creighton last week. This is – I agree with you. I think this is, you know, a team that, you know, could look at a Sweet 16 berth. I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to progress the way they are right now. Yeah, and they're riding a little bit of a streak here. They beat DePaul um, on January 20th. Then they went and beat Georgetown. Those are get-right games, but they did. Then they beat Villanova in that double overtime thriller. They beat Creighton in that really, really good game. Then they lose to UConn, which everybody has done pretty much, except Seton Hall. And then they beat Providence. I mean, their season is going to be these last five games, right? How many do they have to win? Or, I'm sorry, these last seven games. I'm going to give them the win over DePaul. That's one, right? They play... Marquette, Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall, St. John's, and then Xavier. They play literally all the teams that we're talking about being on the bubble. I think they go three and three of those six, right? Because you take it out to DePaul one. Um, Yeah. I think three and three gets you into the NCAA tournament. Um, I wonder if we look back and say that double overtime win against Villanova was a turning point of their season. That was the first difficult, close game that they actually won. And a lot of that had to do with the heroics of DJ Davis, who was just incredible. And then we had him on the podcast right after that. Um, so are you taking credit for some of his incredibleness? No, I'm just, hey, go back and listen to us. Talk to DJ Davis. He's really good at basketball. Causation and correlation. Ryan, there's one more team that I know you're not going to want to talk about for three minutes that has four starters. But we should just quickly touch on it because our whole thing is we talk about all 11 biggest teams that's right so let's put one minute on the clock and talk about your DePaul Blue Demons because they have not earned three minutes they earned one minute for this week yeah and we did give I think we gave Georgetown this treatment two years ago when we, they didn't win a game so sorry DePaul it's not personal um they lost their only game this week 57 to 85 they have Jalen Terry in their lineup who is not a first-time transfer for those who are keeping track at home um then they had their bye week so it's not a whole lot to talk about anyway uh Everything for them is our coaching search and making sure they nail it in the offseason because other than that, nothing really matters this season for them. I feel bad for the kids, you know. It's like 
to be at this point in the season and though none of it matters and you're not even playing for a coach that you signed up for. I don't know. It's it's sad. They're so bad. They lost to Seton Hall, right? No, they lost to St. John's, 85 to 57. Or and in the UBS empty arena, which they're getting used to playing in front of empty arena, so I guess it's not even notable for them. Yeah. Uh they do play Georgetown January 24th or February 24th in what is their, I don't want to say their Super Bowl because they already beat Louisville, but like, yeah, this that's their one chance of not having a winless season um, within Big East play. Get it done. We we don't want to see people fail. Georgetown and DePaul splitting also seems like a very uh, Georgetown and DePaul thing to do. Right. There are no teams that have three transfers other than Xavier. So we have we have three teams that start two transfers. Which one of those three teams would you like to talk about first? The Villanova Wildcats start Tyler Burton and TJ Bamba. So that would be one of your guys. And we just watched them win a game. So let's put three minutes on the clock and talk about your Villanova Wildcats who lost a game at Xavier to start the week. And then they just won at home against Seton Hall in the battle of the mid middle Big East teams, those two games. Embarrassing they, for the Xavier game, right? Like, no. Like, they, they have the weirdest week. They have the worst loss, maybe one of the worst losses, and just the optics of it when it's losing. Housen and Eric Dixon just passing the ball back and forth to each other as time expires. With a veteran team, that should never happen. I mean, that's all coaching. It was 12 seconds left, and they don't even come close to getting the game time three off when Xavier wasn't fouling. Like, I mean, that's as bad as it gets. Then they come back and they absolutely eviscerate um, Seton. Uh, Seton Hall today. I mean, this is a 20-point win against a team that I think going in today was in the tournament, and they just look like they were by far the superior team. I have no idea what this Villanova Wildcat team is. I at least have an idea of what these other teams are. I have no idea what this Villanova Wildcat team is. And I think the problem is Kyle Neptune has no idea what this Villanova Wildcat team is on a given night in and night out basis. I think Kyle Neptune knows exactly what he wants his Villanova Wildcats team to be. It's just it doesn't work for the personnel he's put together. The fact that Brendan Hawson is not regularly getting up eight to ten shots I mean, that's a crime. This dude is one of the best shooters in the entire country. And you've got, like, the majority of your games, he's getting five shots or less. That should never happen. And I understand he's a defensive liability. He's actually been better defensively recently. All right? So the fact that you're not finding ways and running sets for him to get up shots, it's very frustrating because there's a ton of talent on this team. And it's just the the way they're running the team is not highlighting those talents. I I agree. And I think they I saw a stat today they're like 8 and 3 when he gets off more than 5 shots and they're like 5 and 8 when he doesn't. Um it seems like if you had a statistic like that and someone on Twitter is able to find it, maybe you as the coach should try to highlight it a little bit more. He's almost loyal in some ways to Justin Moore and I love Justin Moore and coming into the season we had him Biggie's first team. Justin Moore has not had a great season. Justin Moore has struggled. I'm not sure how much the injuries have limited him, um, you know, from the past. But at a certain point, Brendan Housen needs to be getting kind of the same amount of run or more than Justin Moore. I know you're loyal to him. I know you convinced him to stay and not transfer. However, you, you got to do what's best for your team, and you might be losing your job, man, at the end of the season if if it's this bad. Are you significantly more optimistic about the Wildcats after beating uh... – Beat a scene hall just now? 
No, I think it says a lot more about Seton Hall than it does about uh, the Wildcats. I do think that, you know, all I've asked from Villanova is to show me a little bit of consistency. And until I see them put together two or three games like this, where they're just kind of the class of the game, uh, class of the Big East. What am I trying to say? Where I can see them like be like the best team on the court, wire to wire. Yeah, I mean, but they, let's be honest, they faith play Georgetown. That's gonna have to be a win. Then they have Butler, UConn, and then Georgetown again. You got to go three and one in that four game stretch to even be sniffing a tournament, and that includes both Georgetown wins. And you probably got to pick up either Butler or UConn. I think Butler's a better team today. Oh, I do too. Villanova. All right, Rod. There's two more teams that have start two transfers. So, who would you like to talk about? Um, one of those we are saving for our team of the week, though. Yeah, so the Providence Friars have two transfers, Kika Gaines and Josh Duro, but we're not going to talk about them until the end. So I believe that would be the Seton Hall Pirates who start Jaden Bediaco and Dylan Adaiwusu. Correct. And all their starting five is a transfer team, though, because Kadari Richmond transferred from Syracuse, Alamir Dawes from Clemson, Dre Davis from Louisville. Louisville. Oh, that's a hell of a situation to get out of. Dre Davis saw the boat sinking and was like, I'm out, guys. <laughs> I tweeted something nice about Dre Davis like a month and a half ago. It got picked up by Louisville fans and like got really popular with them. Did, do they hate, uh, hold resentment towards him? Or are they like, hey, dude, you got out at the right time? A little bit of both. Well, there was more resentment towards Payne for not finding a way to keep him. Yeah. Well, Kenny Payne is going to be uh, looking for a new job after the season anyway. Right. Three minutes on the clock to talk about the Hall, which beat Georgetown 76 to 70, and then just got absolutely blown out against the Villanova Wildcats. Um, major panic time for Seton Hall, in my opinion. Kadari Richmond has is back, but does not look to be the exact same um, player that he was before he got hurt, and the team hasn't looked the same since he went out with general soreness. I thought they looked lethargic today. We haven't talked since the game happened. I thought they just looked very slow, not intense. I mean, I know there was no crowd because it's Super Bowl Sunday, so nobody's at the freaking game. And I know that both teams play really freaking slow, so it's not like they're getting up and down. But but usually they have, like, a, a little bit of intensity and, like, you know, like, like they're coming for a fight. I, I just felt like it wasn't there at all today. Yeah, I agree with you. Ryan, I don't want to play fan fiction or anything. Um, the Kadari stuff was weird. We both can admit that. It was very odd when he went out. I wonder if any of the chemistry just got disrupted because of whatever was going on with him. You know, there were some, you know, there was people that we know that were saying that he should be playing. Um, and then, you know, Kadari, obviously he knows his body and was saying that he shouldn't. I wonder if some players are looking around like that's our leader. Um, you know, why is why are we grinding through this and he's not? And now that he's back, I wonder if there's some resentment. That's fan fiction, a lot of that. But you know, I something has changed, and normally we saw last year when that Cooley situation. But when something changes, you start to see it manifest itself on the court. And I've just seen a change over the last few weeks. I would like to pump the brakes really quick. This was one off. They did beat Georgetown, although it was closer than it needed to be. But if they go out next week and they put together a dominant performance, we're going to say, okay, maybe something was going on for that day. Jaden Bediaku apparently had the flu. He had to go out early in the game. Maybe the guys are sick. Maybe everybody's got the flu to some degree, um, but they did not look like their normal selves today. No, and this is a team that just got blown out by Marquette. They lost to Providence and they lost to Creighton. I mean, since the St. John's game where they were clearly the better team, they, I mean, they have a wins over DePaul and Georgetown. I mean, that's, we're going on almost 
three weeks now. Yeah, but they missed Kadari for two of those games. Absolutely. But they've had Kadari back for some of these games, and they still they had him today, and they look – I think Seton Hall is clearly the better team, and they lost to a Villanova team that just looked 100 times more motivated. And we're talking about how Villanova isn't always the most motivated team to play basketball. So what the hell's going on? Well, credit to Kyle Neptune. I like the defensive uh, game plan. Um, they changed it up. They were in a ton of different defensive uh, sets, Villanova. And today they really focused on getting the ball out of the pick and roll sa- ball handler's hands and forcing it to spray the ball around. And seeing Hall can't shoot. No. Although they would like to. They shot a lot of threes in this game and missed a lot of threes. I don't know why that was their offensive strategy, to shoot as many threes as humanly possible. All right, Ryan, there is now we have one team that has we have two teams that have start one transfer and we have one team that starts zero transfers. If you've gotten this far, I'm sure you know who those teams are by a process of elimination. But Ryan, who would you like to talk about first for two transfers that they start? Why don't we talk about Cam Spencer and the Yukon Huskies that went 2-0 this week? As Tyler mentioned, we were in the building when they played Butler at home and then they went down to Washington, D.C., and spanked the Georgetown Hoyos in a game that was not any fun to watch. So I hardly watched it. Yeah. And what's funny is when you say hardly watch it, you hardly watched it while it being on in front of your face, which was impressive. Um, like It's like watching a Major League Baseball team play a AAA team. I mean, it's just not entertainment at that point. Yeah. UConn is clearly by far the better team. Um, that's not a hot take. I do think the Butler game was more interesting. I don't think they played a really great basketball game but they were able to you know that's what good teams are supposed to do they're supposed to be on their off night they're supposed to get some wins um the georgetown game i don't even i'm gonna pretend that didn't happen because i don't think that's indicative of anything but yeah they only shot 47 percent against uh butler they only shot 35 percent from three i thought their defense was really good holding butler to 37 percent shooting and 22 percent from three is really good and i came spencer went for 20 points Four of eight from three, three assists, two steals. Should he get looks as player of the year in the Big East? Everyone in the Big East is so or on UConn is just so hard because their stats are very similar. They all rely on each other. Um, all right, I guess the first question should be, is he the most important player on the Huskies? No. I got a hot take that you're not going to like. Most important player on the UConn Huskies is Donovan Klingon. Donovan Klingon. But no, hold on. He can't win it because he missed so much time. Sure, but you, that's not the question. You said who's the most important player on the Huskies. All right, if one player on the UConn Huskies was going to win player of the year, who do you think it should be? Mm-hmm. Before this week, I might have said Tristan Newton. Now I'll say Cam Spencer. If one of the, if you're going to give it to one of them, yes. Alex Caravan has been fantastic, though, in spurts this season. Um, Stefan Castle has been unbelievable down the stretch here, his defense and offensive game. But most important player, I think, is Donovan Klingon. He, what he does defensively on this game, you know, to change it, you know, Jalen Thomas is kind of an undersized five. He doesn't play like a five. And Donovan Klingon, he doesn't always play like a, he plays more like Oso in terms of a lot of floaters around the rim. Um, Donovan He's Klingon not a back in the basket five. Yeah, Klingon went for 18 and 15, uh, 18 and 14 while just kind of clearly dominating the game, three blocks. Um, defensively and I think his offensive game looks a lot more fluid which you know at the beginning of the year we talked a lot about herky jerkiness of him so the fact that it looks a lot more fluid we could be talking about Donovan Klingon being back in a lottery discussion for the um NBA draft yeah absolutely but I do want to give Cam Spencer some credit um he's he's now the best shooter in the conference 
um, after this weekend's games. He has one of the best assist-to-turnover ratios in the conference. He comes up with steals in this game. He stepped up his defensive intensity. He's finding ways to impact every aspect of the game. He's so much fun to watch. I mean, he's he's a complete basketball player, and uh, I don't have him as a player here right now, but I think he should get consideration. Plays a lot like Paul Pierce, in my opinion. Real slow, under control, um, kind of gets his shot off. He's never blocked by anything. He just kind of has like an old, slow game, and I, that's not an insult to Cam, but he just – He's going to give people buckets at the park and be underestimated for his whole life, and he's going to go out there and he's going to bust them. What you're trying to say is they're both a little overweight, Ty? Is that Cam, Cam is not chunky. Cam is just slow. Cam's a better shooter today than Paul Pierce ever was in his life. Uh, we don't know. I can't say I'm well-versed in Paul Pierce's Kansas career, but maybe in college Paul Pierce was a um, knockdown three-point shooter. And he's also a Hall of Fame basketball player, so it's not really fair to say that Cam Spencer is better than Paul Pierce in any aspect of the game right now. Any aspect. He is in some aspects. Paul Pierce is a Hall of Famer, and you like the Celtics. Paul Pierce is a good ball player. He's no Cam Spencer. <laughs> but... The NBA slander has reached a new height at the bar. Um, all right. The other guys playing one transfer would be your Creighton Blue Jays, who we are also in the house to get to see this week. They play Stephen Ashworth, of course. Um, they went one and one this week. They lose at Providence in a game we got to see in one of the Big East games of the year. And then they win at the Synthas Center, um, get themselves back rolling, and a little two-game uh, losing streak. Yeah, so my frustration with Creighton is they give me the um, – they show me that they're going to play their game no matter what. And no matter what you throw at them, they're just going to keep trying to do exactly what they think they do best. Um, until this Xavier game when then they said, all right, you're going to give us the lobs. We're going to take those. They kind of get to their spot, shoot their shots. And that's it. And if they don't go in, oh, well. And if they do go in, they play a very analytical game, um, which I think sometimes does lend itself to people saying, well, they're not really trying. Uh, I think the lob point was great. You made a, a lot of interesting points, but I just wanted to lob really quickly. This is what they did so well last year. And this is, was a huge part of them making it to the Elite Eight was Ryan Nemhard was elite at getting the ball to Ryan Kochbrenner on lobs. And Kochbrenner, you know, like shoots 90% from the field. Um they had gone away from it this year. They really didn't have anybody who was getting him the ball that well. And it looked like they missed Nemhart, but they did a really, really good job in the Xavier game. And that they can unlock a totally different aspect of their offense if they can get back to doing that at a high level. Yeah, some of it's not fair to Xavier because they are very undersized at the five um, and not as good as Cockburner. But it was interesting. It wasn't the same person who threw him a lob all the time. Um, Shireman had a few where he gave it to him, and Trey gave him a few, as well as Ashworth being the point guard. You know, so... Having three players that are comfortable on the ball of being able to distribute is going to be really beneficial. And Ashworth is really starting to shoot the ball a lot better. Um, I know he didn't shoot the ball amazing in the Xavier game, but he was five of five, I believe, against Providence. Uh, if you know, I'm not saying that Creighton's been disappointing this season in some ways, just given the expectation. But you know, they might be rounded into form at the right time. Some of their individual players, which is going to turn into maybe it'll turn into some tournament success. Yeah, I mean, what, did you have any major takeaways from the game? We got to see him in person. We've seen him in person before we saw him play UConn and get blown out. Shireman was really good in that game. Ashworth was really good in that game. Yeah, their offense is free-flowing. It's moving. Ryan Cockburner gets beat sometimes when a big is very um, skilled. We've seen it. Eric Dixon absolutely take, you know, 
Ryan Cochran out of games. Um, Josh Adoro was in his bag at times. It's just some of the footwork that you saw from him. So it'll be matchups for Creighton when they get to the tournament, obviously. So what are we going to see from you know their best players? And yeah, this isn't a great take, but they go as far as their three best players go, and that's Shireman, Trey, and Cock. The problem is they literally don't have anybody else to fall back on because they got three points from their bench in the Xavier game. 96% of their points from the starters. They're only playing seven right now. They're not even playing Fred King a lot. You will. Ryan Carper is playing 38, 39 minutes a game. Credit to him. And you're absolutely right what you said about those big three more than any other big three. I think those three are top seven in the Big East in scoring. So they have three of the top seven big scorers in the Big East, and then nobody else is really giving them anything. It's not a bad three to have. I mean, Baylor Shireman's haven't put together an all-Big East first-team year. He's been incredible. Um, got hit in the head in the Xavier game, gets right back up. He's fun to watch. Yeah, he didn't even complain about the call, um, which was funny. After he got punched in the face. All right, Rad, there is one team in the Big East that starts zero transfers, that plays zero transfers. And that is the Marquette Golden Eagles, who played one game this week. And we got to see a Tyler Kolick masterclass against St. John's in Milwaukee. The place was rocking. We just going to Marquette Day. We, on National Marquette Day. Are we just going to spend three minutes giving Tyler Kolick his roses? Listen, you give me a hard time. All right. Because you're, I said Marquette needs him to play like an All American. And you're like, oh, wow, hot take. When he plays really good, they're better. No, no, they don't need him to play really good. They need him to play like an All-American. That's what this team is built around, is him being the best player on the floor every freaking night. And when he does that, I mean, it's just so special to watch. We only have nine more guaranteed games of him. They have eight more regular season plus the one Big East tournament. Assumably, they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but we're coming down the stretch at the end of his career, and I think we should all appreciate what he does. What he did to St. John's last night, it, it wasn't fair. St. John, you could have played that game for another 20 minutes and he wasn't going to slow down because they had no way of slowing him down. And once he figured that out, I mean, he's special to watch play basketball. I mean, listen, we are the Tyler Kolick pod. Tyler Kolick was our first guest ever on this pod. We will forever be indebted to that. But he plays such a special brand of basketball. His free movements, um, you know, his ability to pass the ball in any direction with either hand to finish off of a ton of different moves to hit why you know to hit contested threes now and man the bigger the game i know people are going to be like well the ncaa tournament last year but the bigger the game the better the crowd he's just absolutely get fired up and i mean just a special player that pass to stevie mitchell is the best pass i've ever seen he doesn't see stevie mitchell he gets around three guys without even coming close to seeing him and it just Bounce pass perfect and Stevie fit, finishes. I think the closest comparison to him is a quarterback. His ability to read defenses in real time and make the correct decision like 98% of the time. I mean, it's really easy when I go back and I put together a film thread and say, so this is the right, you know, I pause and I say, you know, this is the right read here. And this is, a, he's doing this real time and he almost never makes mistakes. And it's incredible. And there's split second decisions. You know, is the defender going to collapse on me or is he going back to the other guy? I got to shoot it if he's not coming to me. You know, it's surgical. Yeah, a wildly impressive player. Um, and then his quotes after, he loves being the villain, I think, right now. You know, when he's saying uh, <laughs> barbecue chicken when I see him go to man-to-man, look it up on Urban Dictionary if you don't know what it means. I mean, this dude is, 
like when you talk about people would say that Gillespie was a villain, but Gillespie was just a villain because he was really good. He didn't reverse anything. Tyler Kolek is reveling in this. He's a Christian Leitner type player um, where he just, he doesn't care if you hate him, love him. He's absolutely revered in Milwaukee and that's good enough for him. And I think if he plays a chip on his shoulder like this, a big or a NBA team's going to take a chance on him and be like, he'd be a hell of a floor general, maybe for a second unit to start. You surround him with four NBA quality caliber shooters i mean you can't help off of them right and i don't they ought to give him a chance real quick flowers to stevie mitchell who's really good in this game also had a couple steals couple runouts hit a couple threes does everything for that team and is playing really well at this point in the season which is really promising for their postseason hopes and to win a game that Oso, who has been their most important player only scores eight points it's very impressive um, and to come down, you know, stop going down big in the first half, though. All right, that's 10 teams. That leaves just one more. Stick around after this short break to hear us talk about your Providence Friars. All right, Big East Barroom fans, we are excited to announce that we have joined forces and partnered with Homefield Apparel. One of the great things about Homefield Apparel is they cover all 11 Big East teams. I like it because you get the generic shirts from the team store and all this. No, you're going to own field apparel. You're going to be getting a new shirt. You're going to be wearing something unique. People are going to stop you. They're going to say, where'd you get that? You're going to say home field apparel. All right. You're going to say, enter the code B-E-B-R and you get a discount. How about that? And then you're going to take their phone. We've talked a lot about this on the podcast. You're going to take their phone. You're going to take their credit card out respectfully. And you're going to put in the information B-E-B-R. Get yourself a discount. Get yourself a Big East shirt. You're going to the Big East tournament. You want to wear a shirt. You don't want to be the guy who has the Creighton Blue Jay, just like everybody else. Go get yourself a shirt. Home Field Apparel, B-E-B-R. Check us out. All right, Rye. For our team of the week, five minutes to give to the Providence Friars because we, you had been to the MP4, but not for a game, correct? We got to go to our first Providence Friar game at the Amp. We want to talk about the atmosphere, Providence, a little bit of electricity in the air. Um, do you want to talk about the game first? Do you want to talk about the week first? What do you want to talk about for Providence? So really quick, just for because you guys are so great and give us a ton of tips. We went to Olneyville, New York system for hot wieners for lunch. Then we went to Trinity. We went to Murphy's. We went to Blake's for drinks and, and snacks all around the game. Uh, then we went to Dave's for coffee milk the next morning and went to the Abbey for lunch before going over to Federal Hill, getting some Italian products to bring home. We got out of Providence. Had a blast. You guys are so great. Really appreciate all the uh, tips of where to go. And we were really impressed with Providence. We didn't know it could be that much fun. Yeah, there's a lot of alcohol that we got to have. And I'll say that for the atmosphere, it's um, Providence Twitter gets a reputation because you guys are very passionate about college basketball the student section was wild um marquette student section was insane too but it was just so big but it wasn't like out of control this was out of control in the best way um so many cups just absolutely flying through the air full beers just being you know not the cans don't throw cans guys that's pretty dumb good way to break something but um like a laptop um but you know we're can't Cups are flying. People are going crazy. And then I thought it was funny after the game. I didn't realize why every Providence fan was running out of the stadium right when it ended. It's because they all needed to get on the buses to go home. And those buses were just absolutely packed. 
wild atmosphere. Um, and you can tell why they feed off the crowd and why they Providence is pretty much unbeatable at home. Yeah, when Devin Carter hit that logo three, which, I mean, how freaking cool is it we got to be there for that? That was as loud as I've heard any arena this season. I mean, the only other atmosphere I could compare it to was UConn hosting Xavier last year when, uh, you know, UConn made that huge comeback. They ended up coming short. That place was rocking that night. That's that's the only one that jumps to mind is even close to what the dunk was like that night. Yeah, yeah I mean, really can't beat it. And then in the game, this is kind of a must win for Providence at the time. And um, they were down. It was kind of back and forth, back and forth. And then Josh Adora was absolutely balling. Um, I believe he finished with 30 points in this game over the defensive player of the year in a lot of ways, a lot of times when he beat him. Um, and then Devin Carter, that logo three, this dude does not have a filter right now on what he should and shouldn't shoot. And he's just shooting it. Um, and he's confident as hell. And it's fun to watch. Hey, listen, Creighton messed up a switch and they both backed off him. Yeah, he's at the logo. So you think that's safe? Carter's like, I'll freaking take it. I mean, that dude is special. He's the best player in the Big East in terms of pure talent. Really? You think so? Yeah, I think so. His ability to affect both sides of the floor. What do you have, like three steals in this game? Also four steals in this game? So, right, they win that game. <clears throat> they win it. They end up going to overtime and um, moving past Creighton. Then I think as equally talked about, then they play against Butler in a game where they were down for most of it, came roaring back <clears throat> with a chance to tie. Corey Floyd drives to the hoop. Tries to dunk over um, Augusta Casilla and Jalen Thomas and is blocked. And this is the foul hurled around the world or the block hurled around the world. Do you want to debate um, what you think it is? Because I think I think we're almost on the same page. I think Jalen Thomas committed a blocking foul because his arms come down over Floyd and he's taking the, the contact to the chest. I think Casilla maybe gets that ball clean. But I don't think it's relevant because I think Jalen Thomas has, has come into a foul on the front side. And I think you have to call in that situation. But also, and I know we agree about this, Corey Floyd doesn't need to go for a one-handed tomahawk right there. And if he goes up with two hands, he probably gets the foul called. Absolutely. Go up with two hands, secure the ball. Because once the ball gets poked free, in my opinion, by Cassie Cast on the back, which I thought was clean, yeah, Thomas can't come down straight on him. Someone's like, you know, you can't punch him in the face. No. But you also, there is a little more leeway once that ball's out. You see it on when people are scrambling for loose balls. It's not the same standard for a foul. I do think that some of it is interesting, right? At the end of the um, Creighton-Butler game, or Creighton-Providence game, uh, Stephen Ashworth took a floater to try to win it, and Josh Adora absolutely clobbered him at the end. Um, and then this game, they... So the refs have shown that they're not going to call this foul, these fouls. Um, what was the game where Jordan Dingle absolutely got walloped at the end of the game? Was that Marquette? That was Creighton. That was Creighton. Creighton. I mean, the refs aren't going to call that. If Corey Floyd goes up with two hands, I think it's a non-issue because I think he's – it becomes very clearly a foul. And for me, that just isn't very clearly a foul, so I'm not calling it there. They should have called it. It was clearly a foul to me. Um, I just think he could have increased his his success rate. Uh, but I think that was a bad fa uh, bad call, bad no call by the refs. And I'd also like to give Corey Floyd some huge flowers for everything that happened prior to the uh, attempted dunk. He's the only reason they were even in the game. He had the game of his life. And if he keeps playing like that, now you really got something. I After this week, I'm firmly in that Providence Friars can make a tournament. I mean, they're a little bit limited offensively, but look what they just did without maybe their – without their second best player 
um, without two of their three best players. I know Bryce isn't coming back. Adoro, congratulations on the birth of his son. Look what they just did. If Corey Floyd can kind of be that third option right now, or at least be close to double digits in a lot of games, this team, it can be dangerous in March because they also play freaking hard. Kim English has that team. Like, they're on that Xavier wavelength where they just absolutely play like their lives depend on it for the full 40 minutes. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch. Going to miss Devin Carter next year as well. But that wraps up 11 teams. That is the entire Big East. So that would wrap up week 14 of the Big East Barroom tie. Anything else you want to say before we go? Quickly, Rye, before because we didn't have a mailbag or anything, and I don't want to run long, but um, how many teams right now do you have in the tournament? Right now, do or they, how many? How many? How many am I predicting, or how many do I have right now? How many do you have right now? UConn, Marquette, Creighton, or in? No matter what, probably. <clears throat> Butler. I think right now those are the only four that are in. For sure, really? Yeah, I believe so. I would be banging the drum for um a Providence and Seton Hall to get a maybe a last four in or a second look because I think those teams to me uh, for most of the year have passed the eye test and um. I also need to see Devin Carter in the tournament, and I also would love to see that Seton Hall team um, in a tournament because they would give someone a nightmare first-round matchup. Oh, they're not ready for the physicality of Seton Hall. Nobody's ready for the physicality of Seton Hall. Seton Hall's not ready for the physicality of Seton Hall. All right, right. That's Go enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Make some bets. Chiefs plus two. Rye, your bet is? I got the 49ers future from before the start of the season, so root for me. Well, by the time you – Listen to this. You'll know if I got it or not. Chiefs money line. Tell us which one of us is right. And as always, thanks for pulling up a stool.